Amazon Books, your weekly program about great reads through book talks, trailers, and first chapters. Presented by Mrs. Winningham and Mrs. Kovach. Hi, this is Mrs. Kovach. Today I'll be reading from the book, The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins. Could you survive on your own in the wild with everyone out there to make sure that you don't live to see the morning? In the ruins of a place once known as North America lies the nation of Pan Am, a shining capital surrounded by 12 outlying districts. The capital is harsh and cruel and keeps the districts in line by forcing them all to send one boy and one girl between the ages of 12 and 18 to participate in the annual Hunger Games, a fight to the death on live TV. Chapter one. When I wake up on the other side of the bed, I see that the other side is cold. My fingers stretch out, seeking Prim's warmth, but finding only the rough canvas covers of the mattress. She must have had bad dreams and climbed in with her mother. Of course she did. This is the day of the reaping. I prop myself up on an elbow. There's enough light in the bedroom to see them. My little sister Prim curled up on her side, cocooned in my mother's body, their cheeks pressed together. In sleep, my mother looks younger, still worn out, but not so beaten down. Prim's face is as fresh as a raindrop, as lovely as a prim primrose for which she's been named. My mother was very beautiful once too, or so they tell me. Sitting at Prim's knee guarding her is the world's ugliest cat. Mashed in nose, half of the ear missing, eyes the color of rotten squash. Prim named him Buttercup, insisting that his muddy yellow coat matched that bright flower. He hates me, or at least distrusts me. Even though it was years ago, I think he still remembers how I tried to drown him in a bucket when Prim brought him home. A scrawny little kitten with a swollen belly that was full of worms crawling with fleas. The last thing I needed was another mouth to feed. But Prim begged so hard, cried even, I had to let him stay. It turned out okay. My mother got rid of the vermin, and he's a born mouser. Even catches an occasional rat. Sometimes when I clean a kill, I feed Buttercup the entrails, and he has stopped hissing at me. I guess that's it. Entrails equals no hissing. This is the closest we'll ever be to come from love from that cat. I swing my legs off the bed and slide into my hunting boots, supple leather has, that has molded to my feet. I pull on the trousers, a shirt, tuck my long dark braid up into a cap and grab my forage bag. On the table under a wooden bowl to protect it from hungry rats and cats alike, it's a perfect little goat cheese wrapped in basil leaves. Prims gifts me on reaping day. I put the cheese carefully in my pockets and slip outside. Our part of District 12, nicknamed The Seam, is usually crawling with coal miners, heading out into the morning shift at this hour. Men and women with hunched shoulders, swollen knuckles, many who have long since stopped trying to scrub the coal dust out of their broken nails, the lines of their sunken faces. But today, the black cinder streets are empty, shutters on squat gray houses are closed, and the reaping isn't until two. May as well sleep in if you can. Our house is almost at the edge of the seam. I only have to pass a few gates to reach the scruffy field called the meadow. Separating the meadow from the woods, in fact, enclosing all of District 12, is a high chain link fence topped with barbed wire loops. In theory, it's supposed to be electrified 24 hours a day as a deterrent to predators that live in the woods. Packs of wild dogs, lone cougars, bears that used to threaten our streets. But since we're lucky enough to only get two or three hours of electricity in the evening, it's usually safe to touch. Even so, I always take a moment to listen carefully for the hum that means the fence is live. Right now, it's silent as stone. Concealed by a clump of bushes, I flatten out on my belly and slide under the two-foot stretch that's been loose for years. There are several other weak spots in the fence, but this one is so close to home, 
I almost always enter the woods here. As soon as I'm in the trees, I retrieve a bow and a sheath of arrows from a hollow log. Electrified or not, the fence has been successful at keeping the flesh eaters out of District 12. Inside the woods, they roam freely, and there are added concerns like venomous snakes and rabid animals, and no paths to follow. But there's also food if you know how to find it. My father knew, and he taught me some before he was blown to bits in a mind explosion. There's nothing left to bury. I was 11 then. Five years later, I still wake up screaming for him to run. Even though trespassing in the woods is illegal and poaching carries the severest of penalties, most people would risk it if they had weapons, but most are not bold enough to venture out with just a knife. My bow is a rarity crafted by my father along with a few others that I keep hidden in the woods, carefully wrapped in waterproof covers. My father could have made good money selling them, but if officials found out, he would have been publicly executed for inciting a rebellion. Most of the peacekeepers turned a blind eye to a few of us who hunt because they're as hungry for fresh meat as anybody is. In fact, they're amongst our best customers, but the idea that someone might be arming the scene would never be allowed. In the fall, a few brave souls sneak into the woods to harvest apples, but always inside of the meadow, always close enough to run back to the safety of District 12 if, if trouble arises. District 12, where you can starve to death in safety, I mutter. Then I glance quickly over my shoulder. Even here, even in the middle of nowhere, you worry someone might overhear you. When I was younger, I scared my mother to death with the things that I would blurt out about District 12, about the people who ruled our country, Pan Am, from the far-off city called the Capital. Eventually, I understood that this would only lead to more trouble, so I learned to hold my tongue and to keep my features in an indifferent mask so no one could even ever read my thoughts. Do my work quietly in school, make only polite small talk in the public market, discuss little more than trades in the hob, which is the black market where I make most of my money, even at home when I'm less pleasant, I avoid discussing tricky topics like the reaping or food shortages or the hunger games. Prim, Prim might begin to repeat my words and there, there and where would we be? In the woods waits the only person whom I can be myself with, Gail. I can feel the muscles in my face relaxing, my pace quickening as I climb the hills to our place. A rock ledge overlooking the valley, a thicket of berry bushes protect it from unwanted eyes. The sight of him waiting there brings on a smile. Gail says I never smile except in the woods. Hey, Katniss, says Gail. My real name's Katniss, but when I first told him, I could barely whisper it. So he thought I said catnip. And then when this crazy lynx started following me around in the woods, looking for handouts, it became his official nickname for me. I finally had to kill the lynx because he scared off game. I almost regretted it because he wasn't bad company, and I did get a decent price for his pelt. Look what I shot, Gail says as he holds up a loaf of bread with an arrow stuck in it. I laugh. It's real bakery bread, not the flat, dense loaves we have to make from our grain rations. I take it in my hand, pull out the arrow, and hold the puncture in the crust of my nose, inhaling the fragrance that makes my mouth flood with saliva. Fine bread like this is only for special occasions. Mmm, I said. It's still warm. He must have been at the bakery at the crack of dawn to trade for it. What did it cost you? Just a squirrel. I think the old man was feeling sentimental this morning, said Gail. Even wished me luck. Well, we all feel a little closer today, don't we? I said, not bothering to roll my eyes. Prim left us a cheese. I pull it out. His expression brightens at the treat. Thank you, Prim. We'll have a real feast. Suddenly he falls into the capital accent as he mimics Effie Trinket, the maniacal, upbeat woman who arrives once a year to read out the names of the reaping. I almost forgot. Happy Hunger Games. He plucks a few blackberries from the bushes around us. And may the odds... He tosses a berry high arc towards me. 
I catch it in my mouth and break the delicious skin with my teeth. The sweet tartness explodes over my tongue. Be ever in your favor. I finish with equal verb. We have a joke about it because the alternative is to be so scared out of your wits. Besides, the capital accent is so affected, almost anything sounds funny in it. I watched as Gail pulled out his knife and sliced the bread. He could be my brother. Straight black hair, olive skin, we even had the same gray eyes. But we're not related, at least not closely. Most of the families who work in the mines resemble one another in this way. That's why my mother and Prim, with their light hair and blue eyes, always look out of place. They are. My mother's parents were part of a small merchant class that caters to officials, peacekeepers, and the occasional seam customer. They ran an apothecary shop in the nicer part of District 12. Since almost no one can afford doctors, apothecaries are healers. My father got to know my mother because on his hunts, he would sometimes collect medicinal herbs and sell them to her shop to be brewed into remedies. She must have really loved him to leave her home for the seam. I try to remember that when I can see it in the woman who sat by the sat by blanket and reachable while her children turned to skin and bones. I try to forgive her for my father's sake, but to be honest, I'm not really the forgiving type. Gil spreads the bread and slices with the soft goat cheese, carefully placing a basil leaf on top of each one while I strip the bushes of their berries. We settle back in the nook in the rocks, and from this place, we're invisible and have a clear view of the valley, which is teeming with summer life, greens to gather, roots to dig, fish iridescent in the sunlight. The day is glorious with a blue sky and a soft breeze. The food's wonderful with the cheese seeping into warm bread and the berries bursting in our mouth. Everything would be perfect if this really was a holiday. If all the days off meant roaming the mountains with Gail, hunting for tonight's supper, but instead we will have to be standing in the square at two o'clock waiting for our for names to be called out. We could do it, you know, Gail said quietly. What, I asked. Leave the district, run off, live in the woods, unite. We could make it, said Gail. I don't know how to respond. The idea is so preposterous. If we didn't have so many kids, he added quickly. They're not our kids, of course, but they might as well be. Gail's two little brothers and a, sister, and a sister and Prim, and you may as well throw in our mothers too, because how would they live without us? Who would fill those mouths that are always asking for more? With both of us hunting daily, there are still nights when game has been has to be swapped for lard or shoelaces or wool. Still nice when we go to bed with our stomachs growling. I never want to have kids, I said. I might if I didn't live here, said Gail. But you do, I said, irritated. Forget it, he snaps back. The conversation feels wrong. Leave? How could I leave Prem, who's the only person in the world I'm certain I love? And Gail's devoted to his family. We can't leave, so why bother, bother talking about it? And even if we did, even if we did, and we did this stuff about having kids come having kids come with us. There's never been anything romantic between Gail and me. When we met, I was a skinny 12-year-old. And although he was only two years older, he already looked like a man. It took a long time for us to even become friends, to stop haggling over every trade and begin helping each other. Besides, if he wants kids, Gail wouldn't have any trouble finding a wife. He's good-looking and he's strong enough to handle the work in the mines and he can hunt. You can tell by the way the girls whisper about him when he walks by at school. They would all love to be with him. It makes me jealous, but not for the reason people think. Good hunting partners are hard to find. What do you want to do, I asked. You want to hunt, fish, or gather? Let's fish at the lake. We can leave our poles and gather in the, and gather in the woods. Get something nice for tonight, he said. Tonight, after the reaping. Everyone is supposed to celebrate, and a lot of people do, out of relief that their children have been spared another year. But at least two families will have to pull their shutters closed, 
lock their doors and try to figure out how they're going to survive the painful weeks to come.